Live from our shiny new studios in Burbank, California, it's the Drop Lister Show. Welcome to Bit Sesh number two, 2.0, 200, Y2K bug. I'm here with Mike of Bitcoin Battle. If you're following Bitcoin or are interested in Counterparty, you definitely seen Mike around as might be Mike. Mike, say hello. Hi, hi, Mike. Hello. <laughs> and Got so, that wrong the first time. The thing, yeah, the first time. So the thing that we, I guess, we have to address is that you and I did a show earlier today, a marathon with, with video, three hours solid, and we Dan- covered girls, show tunes, the works. There was highlighted effects. It was incredible. However, I screwed up and only got one channel of audio. Um, and that's a real shame and I was triggered, but now I've had a few glasses of wine and simmered down a little bit. And so we're, we're going to do a redemption episode now. Um, but the good thing I was thinking, Mike, is that we, you know, all the embarrassing stuff is out of the way and now, so we can actually edit episode one to, we can episode episode the original episode 2.0 and we can um, actually um, commit a new um, episode 2.1. Okay. There you go. A major release, major version. That's good. It's definitely, it's definitely a point version. And <laughs> um, it, what's, what's good about the new version is it's streamlined. Yes. We'll cut out all the excess crap. You don't need, this is the diet version, the locale version. Unfortunately for the listeners, the solution to the, to the meaning of everything that we established and came to through hard work on our last show will have to stay between us. Yeah, we'll just keep that a secret till next time. No need for them to know the secrets of the universe anyway. <laughs> the meaning of life, that can wait. <laughs> so so um, you and I know each other through Counterparty, but we've been kind of uh, partners in crime late with Bitcoin. Because I mean Bitcoin... Uh, which is sort of like... Uh, really? I heard Wheeler made that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't be sure. My memory is not immutable. Um, <laughs> but I should get memory chain. Yes, yes. The, but with Bitcoin, I made that, and it's sort of like a... Um, it kind of comes out of, obviously, like Spells of Genesis and Pepe Cash and you know, CryptoKitties, the kind of you know, harkens back to all that. And I kind of put my own spin on it. And, uh, and then I created an API and you went and made Bitcoin battles. So, uh, talk about that a little bit. Okay. Bitcoin battles. Um, of course it's built on Bitcoins. So it's basically battling your farms. Oh, maybe of- take, hold on a moment. Uh, well, I should. What, do we have a commercial break now already? <laughs> Not a commercial break, but I think maybe real quick, I should just say that. Uh, the what way is that Bitcoin, Bitcoin anyway? Yeah, the way that Bitcoin works is that um, it's a game and it's a little bit like Farmville, a little bit like the game Risk, if you're familiar with that. Um, 
And basically, um, you can take a Bitcoin address and using counterparty technology, we can treat that like a farm and your farm can harvest tokens, which are called Bitcoin. And we play the game almost like Monopoly, where the point of the game is to get the most Bitcoin. You know, when you play Monopoly, the idea is to get the most money. And with Bitcoin, the idea is to accumulate the most Bitcoin. Um, and we have harvests, and it's a lot of fun. And so, sorry to interrupt you about that, but I just think we, we're, it's a crypto podcast, and we're talking about farms, and that's going to confuse people without context. So, take it away, Mike. Sorry. Yeehaw, yes. Spread those pesticides. Well, uh, let's see. So, yeah, you got a farm if you're in Bitcoins. Hopefully, you got a farm. Nobody likes those no, non-farmers, you know? Notice those guys? They're so annoying. So, yeah, you built an API, which is always a good thing because you never know what will happen. Somebody will build on it. And it exposes the, the parts of the game that are not evident otherwise. I mean, you could query the counterparty server, use the API, and get the assets that are there, the cards in this game, in other words. Well, you'd still have to go to the API to tell which cards were in the game, right? You get a list of assets, and you wouldn't know which ones are the Bitcoin cards. So anyway, your API exposed all of your stuff in the database, the farm art, how many harvests they've had, all that stuff, the latitude and longitude of the farm. So the battle game uses that. Your farm is stronger if you've done those things, if you're like really playing the game. That's the whole point. So if you just if you don't even give your farm a name, you can't even play. I don't even let them log in. <clears throat> so the point is your strongest farms have unique farm art. And yeah, I don't really judge how dank the art is. I just like if you put up a custom thing and it's not named like 3.jpg, which are the defaults, then I give them credit for it. Harvest, joining a co-op gives you points, all that stuff that is in, engaging in the game. And the cards give you points. Uh, Cornholio is the most powerful card. I oh, am a- uh, uh, t- take a pause. Uh, actually, <laughs> we got a phone call about Cornholio. I'm going to play it now. So that was a that was our voicemail about Cornholio, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd I'd like to just comment on Wheeler in general. He adds a lot of interesting stuff to the game. His ears are probably burning now, but I used to enjoy going on the Telegram chat group for the Bitcoin battle, and I'd see Corn Cornholio. I'd see Wheeler uh, going up the leaderboard. He bought like he jumped in with both feet, bought a bunch of cards went cruising right up the leaderboard and starts trash talking the people as he passes them. Right. Which I love. So I used to get a lot of enjoyment out of watching that, but then he dominated them and retired for a while. And now he's back way down there, like fifth or something, almost irrelevant, practically out of the picture. It's like in the old age home already retired. Probably couldn't win a battle if his life depended on it. Now. I don't know. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably be banned next time I go in the chat group, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. Banned by Wheeler. No, I just wanted to shout out to Wheeler. Actually, there's a bunch of good players in there, and they make it fun. It's the first game I ever built, and I was amazed at how fun it is. 
just to see the people playing it. I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably felt the same way about Bitcoins, right? You build it and you're like, oh, okay, it's fun to build. And then you see all these people playing it and that's the really fun part, right? Yeah. So the way, the way that I experience it is like, it comes in waves, you know? So you take, you take your first dose <laughs> and it peaks and there's troughs and um, it's all about sort of keeping it interesting, keeping it going. So it's, it's fun and it's fun to iterate. And what's really exciting about the kind of people attracted to crypto games is their, their pro experimentation, um, their pro technology. They want to get their hands on it. And, and a lot of times they want to try to break it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened to me. I mean, I mentioned something at the very beginning in the chat, in the telegram chat that, free cards to anybody that can hack their way in to win battles and nobody did but i actually found a way later uh, <laughs> i had a bad security hole in there that you actually could do it but one guy tried and he failed and he goes he complained oh i tried to give myself a bunch of stuff and it you know because there's some javascript in there you can try to assign yourself what was it like more battles one of the fields is available battles, but it doesn't persist to the database, so it doesn't really do any good. It's just what's displayed on the screen. That's all you can affect. You can display, you have 99 battles left on the screen, but you're not, the server's not going to give you 99 battles. Right. Anyway, yeah, they do try to break it. You're right. Absolutely. And, and didn't you just reach a threshold in terms of usage there? Yes, yes just past 2,000 battles after about two months. Uh, yeah, it's about a thousand battles a month. There was a tournament that was real good. I'm sure we'll have more of those. In fact, the, by popular demand, betting is the number one requested feature. So maybe we'll do a tournament where it's like betting, but not really betting, where only the people, the, the last tournament, 4th of July tournament was open. Everybody comes in, people pitched in a bunch of prizes, including you. Thank you very much, Dan, for all those Bitcoins. And the, the winners take the loot. But this one, maybe we'll do one where people, you have to pay to get in. You have to put up part of the prize bounty, and only those people participate uh, in lieu of actual betting because that doesn't seem to be something that I'm able to do. Well, let me um, – so one of the things that I'm going to start working on with the Bitcoin stuff is I want to enable – and I've been trying to get to this for a while, but I've been, I've been mostly focused on – well, here's the thing, like, Bitcoins is not the only project I work on. Um, and, you know, the, the price of Counterparty going down 90, 95% did affect my ability to um, devote maximum development time to it, which is unfortunate, but a reality. Um, but the thing that I really want to add, after I firm up the, right now I'm working on like backend stuff to firm up the foundation doesn't really have to go into it. It's not going to be that interesting to non-technical people. But basically, I'm making it a better, more stable um, backend. And that's across Bitcoin, Counterparty Dice, Counterparty Fox. I, I run several Counterparty websites. So I'm firming up some of that stuff right now. But I want to make achievements a thing. And, and based off what you're talking about and the way that your game works, I think that you'll really benefit from having achievements exposed on the API so that you can be the more I could just see that being useful to the way you're talking about the way that you reward people in the battle strength wise is based off of how they play. I think achievements will map to that nicely. Um, 
and maybe even cards will have achievements. So, you know, like a farmer could have achievements in that, like how much they farm or how many cards they have, but a card could have achievements maybe for being like the first of this or first of that, um, you know, got this many sends, et cetera, et cetera. You, you get what I'm saying. But, yeah, I love that yeah. idea. And even like custom ones, like the cards that do something besides just look pretty, like dry as a bone. That's a great Dries card because it has amazing. utility. Yeah. We didn't mention that one last time, but that's a great card and it has extra utility and it seems like that ought to count extra for something. It's not the only card that's going to have that feature. It's just that, um, you know, as somebody who's involved with software development, that uh, it's better to plan than to code a spaghetti and then have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it, yes, pushing code matters, but also uh, long-term. It's a long-term game that's going to take a while. That's kind of the, the thing that I think the community understands is that, you know, there... It, everything can't come at once, right? <laughs> so no, you get no sympathy from the community. Where's everything now? We want it yesterday. <laughs> but there, but the I think the cycle of the harvest does that whole wave thing, where there's like there's peaks and troughs, and it's an, always an opportunity to like reinject, like okay, uh, here's like harvest three, you know, here's the new stuff. It, it's like a release schedule almost, and also sort it, it just gives it the ability to renew itself. Um, and I think that's, when I designed that, I was thinking about uh, Pepe stuff and how Pepe didn't have a structure that way. Um, I think Pepe votes bring back structure to uh, rare Pepe stuff, though, because you got only two maximum per week right now, and there's like an algo. It's, it's really interesting what's happening with Pepe vote. I, I don't think we have enough time to get into it, but you've been um probably not but it's, thanks for plugging it it's awesome yeah and i know you're gonna have need money on here later on another podcast it is awesome though shouts out to pepe vote incredibly good yeah i got a card accepted actually and uh be back to what you were saying before the three-month harvest cycle that was actually where the tournaments idea came from to have tournaments wampum suggested that uh july 4th tournament after a harvest and there was kind of like a lull. Okay. There was a big auction. Everybody's excited. Those auctions are great, by the way, another uh, incredible thing for Mr. Wheeler with his 9,000 bitcoins for that sign. You know what? I, <laughs> I underestimated yeah. this guy. I remember when I looked and I saw oh, an empty ball field there with a blank sign. What kind of, you know, this guy, pfft, not really, but sure enough, now he's assembling a baseball team on there and everything. Anyway, Need money is who I was supposed to be plugging there. Pepe vote. Well, but for the people who, who haven't checked out Bitcoins.com, go to Bitcoins.com and just kind of browse the farms and notice that people have customized their farms. And one of our players, Wheeler, has created the Field of Dreams farm. And <laughs> he's got a billboard in the outfield. And people have been like bidding on the right to advertise on his farm. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's hard to explain, but this is the fun of the Bitcoin stuff and, and, and just all the stuff. People, people are having fun with the tech and it doesn't mean it's not serious technology. It just means that like, we're pro-experimentation and 
it's serious tech, but we're not serious. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it allows it allows you to try things that they they look absurd and silly, but the parts of them are, are um, it's like a test for more serious applications. If you know what I mean. Yeah, games always lead the way, don't they? You know what? I kind of riffed on uh, Wheeler's thing, too. After he had that auction for all that money, I made one farm art for a farm that's nothing but billboards. <laughs> I don't think people have seen it yet because it's down on, like, page three or something. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, let and me it play... was making a statement, too, you know, about freedom of speech, actually. It's like a serious art piece in a way, uh, or it would be if I was an actual artist. But anyway, sorry, what were you going to say? You were going to... Well, I don't want to talk over your serious artistry. Well, that was about the extent of my serious artistry. Usually it's like uh, South Park Cow, so go right ahead. So I'm going to play another call-in. I think you're probably the best guest to have to receive this call-in with. It's, um, it's a, not, not Wheeler, but it, I don't know if this person wants to be named, but they're, they're <laughs> a Bitcoiner, okay? Anonymous Bitcoiner. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me play the call. Hey, I'm, I'm calling because Dan told me to. Uh, he, he got me to do this thing called Bitcoins. Um, you know, is it a scam? I don't know. Probably. But basically, uh, you know, we made these like tokens out of nothing. And, uh, you know, I'm just here to FOMO. And I'm not seeing the FOMO that I expected from Bitcoin. So, you know, I'm, I'm just here to pamp and whatever we can do to help this thing pamp, that's the goal. You know, blockchain is all about the pamp. And, you know, if we want to call it Bitcoins or if we want to call it, uh, oh, God, I don't know, uh, Ethereum or, uh, I don't know, EOS, EOS, um, I don't know, but I'm just here for the pamp. So I'll just keep hanging out and uh, keep bag holding as I'm really good at. These bags are certainly are heavy, but, uh, you know, Where's the pamp, man? Come on, Dan. Let's get the pamp. All right. BGC for life. <laughs> so, so, so that was the call and I received. An absolute savage Bitcoin player. As you can see, it is a, it is a doggy dog game. Yes, it is. <laughs> so um, what I, I love that call in. Thank you for calling in. If anyone else wants to call in, it is one. 888-OK-COINS. It's a toll-free number. goes right to voicemail. Leave a message. You end up on just like that he did there. But um, Call in now and you'll get a free Bitcoin. One of the things that... Uh, so I'm not going to address every single point in that, uh, but I think the thing that um, he's getting at is sort of what we were talking about before is like the lulls, you know? They're, like it, it can't always be exciting. And there's nothing, I mean, there, there are things that can be done about interest, but um, I do think that my ability to one-man show um, carry everything on my back is, it was harmed by the price of counterparty. Um, well, it started at like 60 or something, and now it's down around yeah. five and a half or something. Yeah. So, so I feel you there, but um, it's not that I'm not working on it. I am working on it. Um, and there are things to come. So some of the yes, things I'm going to be working on is we're going to approve the groups. 
I'm going to bring achievements in, like I said. Um, and I'd like to release the um, next set of functional cards. Um, and and I, uh, they're, they're, I mean, I have other ideas as well, but I don't know if I can commit to them. Um, but part of me thinks like it'd be neat if, because if you if you think about it, there's like um, sixteen harvests, and it would be kind of neat if each harvest, the cards published during that harvest, sort of had um, their own thing. So like maybe cards during this current harvest or the next harvest maybe they maybe they give your map a little your form like on the map like a a certain a specific icon or maybe it affects your profile page in a certain way and just and just little effects uh that kind of differentiate the different seasons and give each one their own thing um rather than just being like you know harvest Eight million two hundred and three. Uh, not that interesting, but if it has its own thing, does that make sense? Uh, Mike, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. it'd be nice to get a little badge or something. I know it is nice to see the number piling up the bitcoins, but it would be better to have something customized—a little thing on the pit push pin on the map, or a little badge on the page somewhere, or something like that. An achievement, like you said, that could be used by other stuff. In fact, you know what? I love this idea of. There was remember that stupid um, Firefox plugin. There's a plugin I wrote that shows the little weather, the real time weather of the location that you picked. That was pretty stupid, but a similar thing could be less stupid. Here I am pitching less stupid. How about that? But actually, if the plugin would like read stuff out of the API, and you're roaming around the site, and it shows you your badges and your achievements and stuff like that, that could end up being a good thing. If there's cool stuff to read out of there, right? Mm. Yeah, no, maybe not. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I think I think all ideas are great and I appreciate it. Uh, I just my, the basic the gist of it is that you know I feel you, I hear you, um, and I mean there's opportunities for bitcoins to get added to things like Book of Orbs uh, and stuff like that. But as as like a software developer, it's um, and you know, it's important that I make sure that the foundation is really strong so that before I start, like right now, you know, Bitcoin Battle is integrated with the game. Uh, we have Bitcoin Mash is going to come soon. That's going to integrate with the game. And so, you know, every integration, you know, I got to make sure the foundation is solid. I don't, I don't want to step or, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Why would you want to build stuff on Ethereum when it's got such trouble with scaling? Oh, sorry, wrong cop. But yeah, you, you want a strong foundation. If people are going to build stuff on it, you're damn right. But uh, um, back to something you said. Uh, sorry to like no, go ahead. Yeah, divert go you ahead. a little bit, but what was standing in the way of Book of Orbs integrating Bitcoins into there? Because they got like all kinds of other stuff in there. I know, but when I talked to them, they they just wanted they wanted a very reasonable quid pro quo. They wanted to have oh, some of their cards. <laughs> no, not really. They they kind of just want to have some of their cards, um, have some role inside yeah, but of. You, but you don't have any outside external cards, just Bitcoin card. How about if you had like a dedicated Book of Orbs card in the game? 
and maybe it's even a special card somehow. Well, I think what we were talking about, I mean, I've, I've come up with a few things that they like and um, that are, that makes sense. But like, um, wow, it's a tough negotiation. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> Those guys are tough. Well, well yeah, basically, I mean, an, an example would be maybe you need a certain card to put your farm in a certain location. And so it would be, it wouldn't be a Bitcoin card, but it would have an effect in Bitcoin, um, basically. Oh, oh. Hmm. Yeah. And there are ideas I have around that for, for Pepe cards as well. Um, How do you do that after you started, though? You're gonna, you can't kick people off of where they are, can you? Well, um, the locations are... You know what? I got it. Something you mentioned the other day in chat. Uh, the locations are unpopulated, and for the places, and, and there's one particular person who, put, who did place their uh, farm in this location between now and, and then, but I can, um, I, can, I, can, um, I can send them the card they need to make it all square in Missouri. <laughs> Pen Pen Farm is in Antarctica. There you go. Free card for Pen Pen. Uh, all right. So... <laughs> Let me. No, you, you know what I thought you were going for there was somebody asked you, was it Sasha or somebody asked you about mapping out locations on the moon? And that sounds perfect for some of those things, like, you know, the age well, of chains and all that. I can neither confirm nor deny that Bitcoin's farms may find themselves on the moon. Oh, whoa, there you go. You didn't hear it here first. All right. Location, <laughs> locations in hell. That's where you're going with your farm. All right. Hey, let, let, Sorry, man. You know, I had no idea. I was way off track there. So back to me, reality here. Let me play another voicemail. Um, same caller, different topic. This topic is, this caller is calling in about the chat. So the thing that that, makes Bitcoin exciting and fun. It is the community, I would say. So Make the chat Bitcoin fun again, huh? The, the well the chat is sort of a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And so we had a little bit of fun this weekend and a lot of it was actually in response to this call. But uh we started beefing a little bit uh with other games this weekend and let let's listen to the, the this call here together and then uh kind of just talk about the chat and then I want to talk more about Counterparty generally after that. So let's just start with this call here. Hey, it's me again. Uh, I was just thinking more about Bitcoins. And, you know, we had this great guy named Rigger. And I want to know what it's going to take to bring him back. I would love to see more confrontation between Rigger and the Night King. For those who don't know, the Night King is a prolific Bitcoin farmer. And I just feel like there's been a huge void since Rigor Rage quit. And it would just bring it back to a sweet, beautiful level of entertainment and anger and telegram frustration if we could get that guy back in. So I'm willing to contribute, you know, a few of my Bitcoins to get Rigor back. I don't know who we got to call, who knows him, maybe get Skrilla. But that guy was just, he, he's the secret sauce that we need to take it to the next level so that we can pamp. So, hey, Dan, let me know your thoughts. You can reach me back uh, on Telegram. Uh, you know who it is. All right. Ciao. 
can reach me at 555-1414. So, but that kind of, I like that call because it, it, it really like underlines how important the, the chat and the, the interactiveness is of it. So people would be surprised to know uh, some of the things we get up to with Bitcoin, but there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of beef. Um, and you know what? I did look into where's Rigor? Where's Rigor? I don't see him. Um, and his account's deleted off Telegram. So very suspicious. We have the FBI informed of this. And, um, <laughs> That's just one account, though. You can have multiple. I did <laughs> notice that he sold his crop, though, right? He's a no-cropper. He was threatening it, and he followed through. He's a no-cropper now. He's in, he's in uh, the Zaboan Desert. <laughs> but, you know, like, I think what we need is what I'm aiming for, and, you know, it, it'll take time, and and it'll come in time. And I know two weeks is like a meme, but um, I think I'm going to end up making a Bitcoin bot as part of the chat that will sort of like maybe announce some of these like harder achievements um, to give you some sort of like, you know, you don't want to just like achieve the cool thing and quiet. You want everyone to know that you're the best, right? Yeah, yeah. Give them all you can figure out to give them for achieving stuff. And maybe even some like weird hidden achievements where like <laughs> maybe part of the code is like maybe I encrypt some of the code so that you have to like there's hidden achievements maybe. Yeah, somehow, you know, there could be like a sequence of cards or something that something. I don't know, I don't <laughs> want to say too much, but it's probably a stupid idea. But if it's a good idea, I don't want to give it away either. <laughs> okay, so that so that's I think we've covered a good amount there in terms of like Bitcoin battle. Awesome. Going good. And, and I'm glad you had a lot of fun doing it when you, I mean, when you started it, I said, you know, like, good luck. (laughs) It might be a waste of your time, you know, (laughs) but (laughs) I think I'm really, uh, for me as, uh, as a developer, it's, um, it's really, really nice to have someone use your API. And also Indelible Trade used my API and that he made a connector for it. And he also made a bot for one of the um, groups in Bitcoin. It's called Quarantine Clan. And they have a private right. chat room. I tried that bot, yeah. Got and kicked I, out and, of that chat, though. And so it's just really like, uh, it's, it's really cool to have people use your API. And, and it's just like, here you go. <laughs> yeah, he put up an NPM package, uh, a yep. node package. That was pretty cool. Somebody will use that for sure. And and if Joe Looney comes through with Bitcoin Mash, it's it's just I'm excited because it. I think it's a, I'm I feel like I'm achieving some of my goals in regards to the wider com- counterparty uh, visibility through the game. When I see those kind of like, for example, you like you you knew a counterparty before you made Bitcoin Battle before you did Bitcoins, but it's probably the first thing that got you to really like try to code something with these tokens is that right well i never actually tried any not even a get balances i never tried anything with the actual counterparty api before this uh i never tried any i never even built a game before this either so it was a bunch of firsts and now i'm like uh starting on something better that i won't uh spoil (laughs) (laughs) but would include bitcoins for sure though 
I won't do anything on Counterparty, any kind of game that wouldn't include Bitcoins. That's who would do that, right? I mean, you got to. It's it's turned into its own thing. It's grown to so, take over the world. Sorry. Uh, in regards to Counterparty more broadly, and and um, this is just, and I don't know if this will be a good jump off or not, but I think you know what? You know what? I'm going to save. Haha. There's a, a phone call I'm going to save for tomorrow with Joe Looney. Not because you can't answer it, but because I think Joe Looney is the, the guy for this voicemail. Um, he answers everything better. That guy is really good at answering stuff. Yeah. No, he's, uh, he, he's great. Joe, Joe, Joe's a mechanical engineer by trade, but as I, the, there was a whole like half-hour discussion me and you had on the call that was screwed up because I'm an idiot. Yeah, I love that discussion too. The baby Pepe's, if you want to get into them, and or we, you want we, to talk about baby badger corns or something. No, we got into <laughs> we, no, no. But we what we got into was crypto kitties and how we could do on Counterparty. But I, what I was specifically thinking about is how uh, how math and coding and um, Math and coding and, and is like a, a way of thinking. It's like a, you know, it's a it's a type of logic or a type of reasoning that we can deploy. So he is a mechanical engineer by trade. However, you apply, you know, it, it's it's not that far of a, a leap to go from you know that mathematical engineering reasoning to the software reasoning, right? He's got that engineering mindset. Yeah. If you're looking for criticism of, yeah, those guys, don't tell them. Nobody's listening, right? Those guys, they love calculus. Can you believe it? <laughs> Mechanical uh, so engineers. Oh, my God. They're the worst. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You're going to edit that part out, I'm sure. No, I'm not going to edit this because <laughs> I, I was traumatized okay. from the listen. last time we talked. He's not listening. He's, he's practicing for his uh, – that's okay. He won't hear it. So um, – in regards to Counterparty, so when's the first time you came across Counterparty? It was, it, I mean, it wasn't recently, right? Because 1935. Oh, no, okay, no. So, <laughs> so a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, ages ago. Wasn't even called Counterparty then. It was just Rock Party. No, <laughs> seriously, uh, when it was started, 2014, because I was pretty new to Bitcoin then, and I was just, I remember it came out and I was dying to learn about it, write a silly little article. And a mutual friend of ours was very much into it and some other people. And I wrote the stupidest art, probably the stupidest article I ever wrote in my whole life was this counterparty article. Because what was happening at the time was people were explaining it in terms of master, what would turn into master coin, right? The master protocol. Mm-hmm. And actually, well, well, Vitalik was involved in that, too. And there was a lot of cool people doing cool stuff in Master Protocol. But Ma you know what else Ma happened then? MasterCoin is like the genesis for a lot of things. So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of the founders from Counterparty like, were involved with MasterCoin. And then they realized, like, oh, we can fork this. Yeah, there was some smart people getting together, thinking of stuff to do. And it was a great idea. Just uh, better implementations to come later, I guess. But the other thing that happened then that I wrote about, which uh, was Tatiana Moreau's issued her coin as like, you know, saying I'm the first artist to have a, a counterparty token and my people that buy it will get merchandise in the future and love forever and whatever. Mm -hmm. 
But looking back on it, that was a horrible article. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the way it goes. You know, that was what I was doing then. I was learning about stuff, and then I would write an article, and I was too stupid to keep all those Bitcoins. Everybody paid in Bitcoin back then. Every, I, I, I wrote for like four or five different outfits. Every one of them paid in Bitcoin, except Let's Talk Bitcoin. They paid in their own company script, right? LTB coin. Yeah. But that was how I trade it. I, I bet what's funny is I bet those people thought like, oh, these fools, they're accepting Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, we can pay them off in this stuff instead of real money. <laughs> no, it's, I, I don't know. You know, people were saying this stuff back then and I bought into it. I was totally drinking the Kool-Aid. They were like, you got to spend Bitcoin. Circular economy, man. You got you can't just hoard it. You got to make use of it. People got to see that people are using it to buy real stuff and you got to spend it and keep this stuff moving. And so, yeah, sure. No. And I bought into that and I'm like, well, I'm not going to save this stuff. And who knows? I'll just, and sure enough, I didn't like a, like a fool. Oh, say lovey. Um, so, but maybe we can, uh, maybe we can scam you into doing more for counterparty than Bitcoin battle. What, what changes would you like to see in counterparty? Oh, let's see. How about, well, you know, I would love to see that three letter asset thing go through that uh, CIP for three letter assets. Well, that's, I know that's one of the ones that me and Dante are proposing, but is there anything that even, even if it's just an idea, like, is, is there anything that you're like, Oh man, I wish I would have this. Okay. I'll, I'll plug the thing we mentioned before, which is something I discussed at great length with Wampum about internationalized asset names mm-hmm. using a two letter asset name xn no particular reason why but just to kind of adhere to convention because that's what i can did with domain names they put out proposals for how to do internationalized names which is just using other scripts unicode scripts though that's the problem when it was just ascii to those geeks that are listening so they ended up with this scheme called punicode a harebrained scheme if i do say so myself where every name that starts with XN dash dash something is interpreted as Unicode character. The part after that, you have to do a little conversion. So anyway, if we had two letter asset names and I don't know what's the best way to work it, maybe sub assets of that, or just uh, like the way some start with a now, if they're numeric, maybe you could reserve XN to be these XN one, two, three, five, seven, Oh nine. I don't know how it would work, but one way or another, reserve XN and use it, use it for internationalized domain names. And this is something Wampum feels strongly about, too. So I could have a, a partner in writing this proposal and championing it. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think it's really interesting um, because it is a goal. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not like an American protocol. It's a global protocol. Uh, right, Counterparty. Right definitely has a user base in japan there's no doubt about that um there's also i mean there's people in european countries that would probably prefer it in their their localized language as well so it's interesting especially Um, asia especially asia yeah there's some countries that don't like it actually but most do and there's a lot of code out there we can leverage and reuse for for punicode already you know, I, I like it, um, and what I like about changes like this, because I like you brought up three-letter ass names. I've been a proponent of these changes. Is I would say um, technically they're not challenging, and 
Um, the upside, oh. well, but like, you know, the upside potential for them and just like new interests or like just anything to promote that's new is, I think, um, worthwhile. So, um, I love changes like that. You know, I, I've been a proponent, me and myself, uh, me, myself, and I know, but and also Both, Dante, yeah. Dante as well. Um, we talk a lot about this three letter asset name proposal. Um, and right as now, you like, know, I think he's got, as we said on the last one, he's got the right attitude about it. Unlike some other people that are invested, he invested a lot in four letters and stuff. So, you know, but he's got the right idea that you bring in all these new people, this new interest, they bring new money and new people, they build stuff that brings new people for the stuff they built and so on. And it just raises all boats to mix yeah, metaphors. My, my feeling is the, uh, the crypto ticker standard is three letters, basically. I mean, most of the popular ones are three letters. Um, projects evaluate a lot of different options. And something as simple as not being able to get the ticker they, they want is probably enough to disqualify um, this platform. So, and as you know from domain names, three-letter ones, it doesn't even matter if it's a word or anything, right? You can always find acronyms for three-letter ones, even four if you have to, but three Every one of them's good. Doesn't matter what it is, right? Three-letter.coms, regardless of letters, are thousands and thousands of dollars uh, all day, every day. Yeah, and there's always acronyms till the end of time for every three letters. Even and, even uh, more, like I know the Chinese well, love them too. The Chinese love them. Well, are you talking about also doing numbers like eight eight eight? Um, because you know, that requires. I, I haven't thought about it, but because. The way that numerics are set up now, where they start with an A, um, I'm not totally sure about the reasoning behind that, but um, it would be interesting. It's, be it's because Robbie was asking the other guy, hey, how should we implement the new He goes, hey, uh, and it's a good idea, man. We'll use A. <laughs> but it's what weird because that, eh? it was a we Canadian thing. It's a little weird because within the code base, the way that we check if an asset is numeric is we check if it starts with A, which is very counterintuitive to me. So another change that would be cool would be like to allow names like Apple. Would be, it would be really cool, actually, to allow numerics uh, like just like that. But I would say hmm, that's you, tricky. You had, a, you had a way to do this and still allow the numeric. By well, just doing oh, one extra yeah. simple test, right? Yeah, well, instead of, if we, if we wanted to allow Apple, there's like three places in the code we'd have to change. And rather than checking if it starts with A, we would just look at the second character and see if it's an integer. It, which would be a correct check, to, like a logical check to see if something is a number. Is like you would actually check if it's a number. You wouldn't check if it's an alpha. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but Sounds that's good, how the eh? code is. So you're kind of stuck with something sometimes. So we would still have them how they are, but we would also allow like Apple, Asset, um, ABC, et cetera. Um, but I think it's a real shame that right now we can't create things like IBM, you know, and stuff like that. The biggest argument I've seen that is mm -hmm. like against it, that is uh, proposed is, because, well, there's two arguments against it. It's that I thought there was one main one, ever though. before. I thought four would only be the shortest ever. I placed all my bets in a very specific way, and I feel like I'm being, uh, like the community promise is being broken or something like that. 
Which we agree is ridiculous because you bring new people in, the whole ecosystem up. Well, I just feel like that argument is like, I want the protocol. It's self-serving at at the expense of the whole community. (laughs) Um, So that's, I don't really respect that argument. And they also have the same equal opportunity to like buy three letter asset names Um, or two or one. Like I'm honestly, I'm, I like to just see it happen. So whatever it, whatever uh, configuration makes people excited about it. I'm cool with one, two, three, whatever. Um, and well, so the, the other objection, you don't buy into that either. Well, the other objection is that people will scam people. So people register ETH and then scam people with it. BTC. Yeah, yeah. you can reserve that though, right? Well, BTC and XCP are already reserved. Um, so my responses to this argument was, we could go on like coin market cap and like reserve the top hundred, like if you really feel like it. But I really don't think that people are gonna um, mistake XMR on Counterparty for the real thing. And the other thing about that is that there's things like Vegas, and if you look at Vegas and Macross, these are two assets on Counterparty. They're <laughs> they're registering sub assets that are like Vegas.BTC, Vegas.XEP. Vegas.xrp. So um, it's almost like already, um, like if you're really that concerned about that, like it's already kind of a thing that's possible. And I do not think the level to police scammers is at the protocol level. Um, I have like removed that word from my language. Like I don't think it's even wise for an ecosystem to. Like the, the way that Counterparty has been for a while is like anytime a new project comes along, it reflexively says, scam, scam, this is a scam. And it's not really that beneficial to the ecosystem to have these like quote unquote antibodies that make it a rough start for new projects. You feel me? Well, if you're going to enforce this at the protocol level, I mean, some central authority would have to be the ones deciding which ones are good, which ones are not okay, right? And for another thing, I mean, XMR as a counterparty asset, you know you got to have a different wallet to use that. you got to use a counterparty wallet, not a Monero wallet. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, and the, it, I, think it's, I think it's fear-mongering, basically. I don't think it's a legitimate argument. I don't, and, and it's, <laughs> I've been accused of not caring. Um, but, you know, I just think it's not a concern of a protocol. I think it's not that big a deal. Well, if you're going to reserve strings and somebody has to decide that, that's a very centralizing force. You yeah. got to appoint a committee or something to be in charge and do that. It also assumes that there's like a ton of usage in counterparty. Like the market cap of XEP right now is like $15 million. So, like, it's a very small crypto, and the idea that there's going to be, like, these exorbitant scams, (laughs) to me, is, like, comical. Um, But, like, you look at Ethereum. Ethereum has, like, FOMO3D. They have, like, provably fair Ponzi. And that's, like, a billion-dollar network. I asset called Ethereum, too. What about that? I, I have the asset name IOTA. I have Zcash. I just think those are so. Basically, well, what I'm saying is, anyway, so <laughs> cares. these are the the two 
biggest arguments raised, I would say are whatever. I would say this change is extremely simple to make technologically. And it just makes common sense to me. And it's not just a new opportunity. I think so too often we look for the most complex things. And I'd rather look for the simplest changes, which affect the least number pieces of the code, you know, the least chances of consensus failures and code failures, um, but have, you know, big social effects, you know. And I think three-letter S names is a great example. It's changing, like, a number, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, you said, like, three places total, right, yeah. in the code? It's not that many yet, because I've already coded this feature. But what a strong effect that has, just bringing in all kinds of new people and new excitement. Because those are, those are great strings. Anyway, you probably wanted to mention something else. You, you got lots of stuff you'd like to see if you were like the boss of Counterparty, right? Well, what I like is no one is the boss. The founders have absconded. And I think that's you know my own personal view is that they launched it anonymously. And then they became named. And then they started a startup. And I think Counterparty became a legal liability. That's just my oh, own. Oh, really? Opinion. I didn't know they were lo- they launched it anonymously. That's interesting. Yeah, they they launched it anonymously. Like so, for example, Adam Krellenstein was he was known as Phantom Freak only for a while, but then so um, they doxed him, huh? No, they doxed themselves. I think for the social benefit, so that they could do a startup, like, and it worked. But then it became a liability, and I think that they made decisions such that, you know, it was, you know, kind of, you know, ooh, that's kind of like a legal question for us. You know, does the SEC care that we did that kind of thing? Oh, they were ahead of their time. They were prescient. Yeah. People are thinking about those issues a lot these days. Um, but that, and I think that's a benefit that the founders aren't like, uh, they don't loom heavy over the protocol because it, it means it's more decentralized. And the foundation um, was dissolved. Um, I don't know the whole details about that. I, I was asking questions about the foundation uh, in January of this year and pointed out to them some you know, odd things about how they were operating. And they had some meeting and decided to dissolve. But I think you know, our problems won't be solved by a new foundation. Um, I think the lack of a foundation, the lack of founders is that gives you a actual open source decentralized project. And that's cool. Yeah. That's important too. As other blockchains and projects will find out sooner or later, some of them sooner, some of them not till way later, but ultimately that matters a lot. I mean, it doesn't matter at all until it does. <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah, sure. Things. Sure. But um, so one of the things we covered, so, uh, you, you have a you and Waltham have a cool idea around IDNs is what they call that in domain space, but we call uh, I guess we would call it maybe internationalized asset names, so maybe IANs. Ians, okay. And then um, th- one to three letter asset names, uh, something that me myself and Dante. I keep saying me myself and Dante. I don't know why <laughs> I keep saying it that way. Well, the two um, of you get together, it's like three people. Yeah. And then um, some non-naming specific features that I think would be cool would be like decentralized asset sales. So we trade tokens on the DEX. Uh, at this point, 
people are very familiar with what a DEX is, but at the uh, when Counterparty created a DEX, it was a very new idea. Um, you could, similarly to how you trade tokens, um, you could trade asset ownership itself. So say Mike owns Battle as an asset name, and I want to own Battle. It's a fine asset name too, I must say. But I don't necessarily trust him. Um, to deliver if I put up the money. You bet your asset. So what we could potentially do is create decentralized asset sales where Mike could put up his asset for sale for a certain price and it could be escrowed and could all be a smart contract. Or if he isn't putting it up for sale and he's not responding to my messages, I could maybe even put up a buy order and maybe try to entice him into it. Because... Um, there's a lot of nice asset names. People are people are always like hemming and hawing about squatters and counterparty, but um, I think yeah, if we they just... complain about that everywhere though, and seldom is it really justified. Well, I think if I think the difference between XEP, the token, and asset names is one's liquid and one's illiquid. So I mean, no one's like saying like. Oh man, I really hate that people are holding on to XEP. They're squatting the token. <laughs> no one's mm-hmm. complaining about that, right? Right, but say. you're you're absolutely right that there is no liquidity in those asset names currently. I uh, full disclosure, I own a thousand of them, and I've only ever been contacted about one, and I didn't sell it. I just gave it to them. I was like, here you go, because I w- I thought they were going to go make a project with it, and I gave them. Um, the asset name Oras, which is the Spanish word for hours. Oras, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like your idea because I can bid on, I mean, I can make an offer on something, maybe without disclosing who I am, although I guess they can find out pretty easily. And the yeah. other thing with it is it almost gets back to one of the phone calls where it's, it, where, I mean, he used a different words, but really what he's getting down to is like liquidity. Um, and so the ability to um, buy and sell ownership of asset names on a decentralized platform, it's just a new Pokemon to trade. Um, it might be, and it, it creates just like new interesting possibilities. Uh, like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a great idea. And then the other thing that I think would be neat is um, scheduled dividends. So right now we can create dividends and counterparties. So say you want to run a decentralized, a DAO or whatever. You want to be able to run, have some sort of corporate-like structure. Well, I feel somebody will put $50 million in there, yeah. Let, but let's say you want to run a corporate-like structure, but without identity. You could create a token, call it like company shares, whatever, a non-shares. And you could distribute those anon shares amongst your, you know, cohort, and you can issue dividends um, as you guys operate your um, business, right? And so, right. scheduled dividends is just a take on what we already have, which would allow you to do cool things like, say, you want to do an ICO and you want to lock up some amount of tokens for the founders. You could do like, hey, the founders are going to take 10% of the tokens, but they're not just going to get them right away. So they can't just like auto dump. Or maybe there's investors and you don't want them to just auto dump. 
what you could do is create a founder's token. You can create an investor's token, distribute that amongst your founders and investors as is whatever. And then you could schedule a dividend to the founders. Maybe there's 10% of the token goes to the founders. Just issue a, a schedule a dividend to the founders, schedule a dividend to the investors, and it's all locked up. It's all transparent. It's all trustless, and it just works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could, you could build something where you promised distributions to somebody. It doesn't even have to be like owners and founders. It could be the people buying into this, buying tokens from you or something. And then, like, uh, sell the thing. Oh, a stupid example would be, yeah, you could build a Bitcoins game, schedule all the distributions for the next four years, and then sell the game to Wheeler. There you go. <laughs> well, and, I, no, I, and I, promise I, I people, can... you know, you, the people would know they're going to get their Bitcoins at harvest every three months. Still, well, I, if you got hit by a bus or whatever. Yes. I really want the feature because it would uh, further decentralize the Bitcoins game. And I just want to be able to like schedule all the harvests and be done with it. And I think people would appreciate it. I think people would like it. But it's got well, this. That, but it's oh, not. Sorry. But what I like about the feature is that it's not just like like I need to use it and I will use it. But it's not just useful to me. Right, like you were talking about a company operating on the chain. If you make deals with suppliers or vendors or contractors or whatever you know you can enter into agreements and schedule those and still things can happen to the company like new people can come in new ownership whatever and you know though you're going to adhere to the old agreements because they're scheduled and then the 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 thing with like uh, the idea this idea of the founders and the investor tokens i mentioned those tokens are liquid so that means like essentially what you start, you could, if you're an investor and you have a scheduled dividend coming to you, but it's not arrived yet, you can still sell your place online. Like it becomes a futures contract. So it's almost like the, and basically extending counterparty, which is a permissionless finance platform to have the concept of futures. Sounds good. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. No, I like all these ideas. I mean, the thing I don't like is it's stagnating, nothing happening, and no development work going on. Nobody likes that because that's, that has no benefits at all. It just makes people keep asking the question, what's going on? Is anything going on? Well, we, we've been doing developer meetings. Um, unfortunately, the, I've put out um, – I tried to get interest in, in like the next one, and, and nobody replied. And so – People are suggesting that I should just like pick a date and make it always that date. But what I like about people sort of like self-attesting or self-selecting for a certain time and place is that they're more likely to show up. And it also indicates their interest. So um, basically no one <laughs> indicated interest in the next one. Which I didn't even see this one. I saw the one before it. Oh, well, so I, if you just pick a date, what happens if like John V says, no, I can't make it that date. It's probably nice to move it and pick a date that he can make it. Well, we definitely need a next another developer meeting. Uh, a lot of things happened at our last one. We agreed on expanding the number of people of and would commit access. Um, but we're celebrating. Sorry, I had to make a noise. The, the narrative that I I don't agree with is that this is just a slow time, and nobody understands Counterparty, and the people are learning how to use Counterparty. And if we give them access, they'll break it. Um, 
I don't agree with this. I don't, I don't really. I think that's an argument that relies on the people it's being addressed to not understanding the technicals of Counterparty because they're not that hard. Counterparty is a SQL database and Python code that validates very basic data. And it's it either SQLite, goes into the, right? Yeah, yep. this is not like working on the Bitcoin consensus mechanism. It either, it either goes into the database or it don't. <laughs> it's not it's really not rocket scientists so um but there's different issues so people want segwit to be supported and i kind of agree with that because i do mostly because i think we should support the latest version of bitcoin people don't know this generally but counterparty runs like version like 13 of bitcoin and they're on version like 16 for example um so that's a so, problem. Yeah, you want the stack to be up to date. However, from top to bottom. Yeah. Even if we even if we tomorrow had SegWit, it's not gonna bring a bunch of fee savings because the fees are already very low. It's not gonna bring as much fee savings as something like um, multi asset sends because counterparty scales differently than Bitcoin. Right, which I don't think you mentioned on this call. We talked about that last. That's a big one. Yep. It, it's, um, there's a way to refactor counterparty such that rather than doing each, rather than having one Bitcoin transaction mapping to one counterparty send, you could have one Bitcoin transaction equal many, many, many sends to many different people, which is, again, it's an, counterparty scales differently than Bitcoin because it works differently from Bitcoin. And it's so something we, you can't do now unless you're a if you can't write a script to do this for you and you have 100 or 500 things to transfer, you, uh, what can you do? You can take all day long and move these things one at a time. That's pretty... It's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, there's, if, you're running a, if, you're at, if you're running a node, you can unlock the Bitcoin wallet on that node and run a script, which will do it. Um, but that's, I would say, extremely not user-friendly. <laughs> But there's like a, what less than one percent of the people. Most people can't do that. Less than one percent. It's a, it's like one percent of one percent. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I would say about that is Segwit. Even if we could adopt Segwit, everyone's assets would be at addresses which are not Segwit addresses. So that comes to some ideas that people like Need Money have had where it'd be cool if you could maybe have a transaction type where you could just say, you know, the only thing that you store into the blockchain is take everything at this address and transfer it to this address. That's the, so there's basically only one address you would basically put into the blockchain, very small piece of data, but off-chain the counterparty nodes would execute that command and they would move all the balances over. And rather than, so like if you had a hundred assets or a hundred balances at an address right now, it would take you a hundred Bitcoin transactions to move that. Yeah. I'm but still this, calling that move the farm, sell the farm. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> with <laughs> this, with this kind of feature, you would it would be easier to migrate to like a SegWit address if you wanted. And like you said um, in the earlier call we had, which I screwed up recording, is that it would allow you to kind of sell a portfolio if you wanted. 
Yeah, sure. Think some of those Pepe portfolios, tons of stuff. That's how the farms will be after a while, right? You want to give a farm to somebody for a present? I mean, what can you do? You could spend a half a day moving stuff. Sure. Or, I mean, there's people with thousands of Pepe assets. And if they ever want to sell their their portfolio, it's going to be a logistical problem. Whereas it, it is extremely feasible to create that kind of feature. So... I think we've covered counterparty features fine for now. I want to start wrapping up, but the one piece of content that I think was, I hadn't heard anywhere else. And I think is super interesting. And I'm just going to kind of give you the floor to talk oh, about it. So this is not going to be the quantum computers. Okay. <laughs> or the meaning of the universe. I don't think it's as interesting. The universe simulations. That's like one of my favorite topics. But the thing that I think is really interesting is you have um, a view on Ethereum through experience because you, like, you actually have tried to use Solidity, you've done some smart contracts, and how it differs from EOS. And, and, and I'm getting to the, uh, the VM differentiation and also the language differentiation. So um, can you just speak on that? Yeah, I think it's great. Ethereum rocks. It's going to take over the world. Well, that's not what I expected you to say. Oh, did I not say that the first call? (laughs) Yeah, mixed messages here, huh? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I talked about solidity and problems with it. I mean, obviously, these smart contracts are going down left and right. And there was a kick ICO, I think it was, was the last one I saw hacked just uh, two, three days ago. And that was the owner of the contract had the ability to take away the tokens and reassign them. Because <laughs> you, you store it, to, unlike Bitcoin, right, the, where there's an address, there's a big address space out there. And at some of those addresses sit these unspent transaction outputs. And you have the private key so you can move it to a different place or you don't. And it's that clear cut. But in Ethereum, of course, they keep a little ledger internally. I know the blockchain is a ledger. It's the analogy everybody likes to use, but there's just accounts and there's balances. And so the smart contracts tend to mirror that, right? They work the same way. They have these data structures called mapping, which is a way to store that data on the blockchain, not just that data, any sort of, uh, it's like a key value store, but it's commonly used to store who owns the tokens, right? An address is mapped to a balance. How many tokens of that? Yeah. But in this case, and it's common, the only, uh, there's modifiers in this language, Solidity, which is just a JavaScript with a six pack of beer in it. Like JavaScript went out on Saturday night and got trashed. And that's what Solidity is. And that was a pretty good one. I missed that the first time around. Anyway, so uh, you keep these mappings and there's modifiers. This is like a really troubling part of Solidity language. So only owner is one modifier where only the owner can do stuff. The owner in this contract and most of them can call a function and he's the only one that can call a function usually that changes that ownership, right? It's just a key value store. So that's what happened. Somebody got his private key and they became the owner. They call that function. They deleted all these tokens from people and reassigned them to themselves. And that kind of stuff is just so problematic. 
But uh, the point I really should have gone for instead of that was <laughs> people are picking off these, this low hanging fruit on these smart contracts, typos. You leave out one word and it makes your contract vulnerable. One word that guards the function that is a payable function. Yes, it's the, it's, it's the difference between protected and rewritable. <laughs> yeah, but after that, I mean, su- suppose they clean that stuff up, which they're not going to. Still, then people will attack the actual language itself, which is probably extremely vulnerable. The Solidity compiler has got to be just chock full of bugs because they layered on all this blockchain stuff on top of JavaScript is what it looks like, how they built it. And even if not that, I'll get right to, I guess, the trying to give the condensed version of this and skip like all the explanation, which is probably bad. But below that, right, all this stuff, even if you replace Solidity with the Python one, what is it, Serpent? And there's, there's more. If you picked a really good one or you picked a functional programming language, that's not going to have these problems, right? It asserts its own correctness but nobody knows how to program it. But suppose you did that. It still gets compiled down to bytecode, which gets executed on the Ethereum virtual machine, which is like an intermediary, right? There's, think about the, the layers of abstraction, like on a computer, usually you have the hardware, it has an instruction set. You're writing a program in a high level language. It gets compiled down to the low level language that gets run on the hardware. And it's the same thing in these kind of deals. You got, it still runs on hardware. So there's still low level instruction sets. Then there's a virtual machine that's a higher level instruction set mapped onto that lower level instruction set. And then above that, a language like Solidity that's compiled down into bytecode that runs on the virtual machine that runs on the hardware. Anyway, to cut right to the chase, yeah, they, they wrote that Ethereum virtual machine custom just for Ethereum. And probably not a great thing because I'm, sa- I'm thinking they pattern it after the Java machine. That's the one that's widely used in the world. And it's pretty good, even though I don't like Java. But there's no, a key. No. Oh, sorry. No, no I, 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 think, I think your point's been well made. And, and the, the thing that was interesting to me that I haven't really, I haven't really looked into was... Um, like you kind of built up for me, like what the EOS stack is like in comparison. Cause like, I think now people understand based on what you said, like that we got like this janky JavaScript clone on top of like roll your own VM, which is <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, and so compare that to EOS for us. Well, EOS uses the best one out there. I know that's subjective, but this Wasm. Is actually damn good. It wasn't built for blockchains or anything. It was. Uh, it took years to build it, and they very carefully picked an instruction set that maps to low-level hardware instruction sets really well. And on top of that, they probably made a questionable choice picking C++. They did that because there's tons of libraries of code out there, have been for years, but I don't really like it as a language in a lot but of rel- but, but relative to Solidity. Yeah, it's probably a lot safer choice. That's true. Solidity was the way it was so that they would bring in the hordes of web programmers. And it worked, right? They got tons of web programmers writing these smart contracts. 
that I mean, how else could you lose that much money that fast, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all these hacks. Uh, but the thing, one thing I like about EOS is they're just as bad as Ethereum in terms of, well, they're actually worse in terms of making those trade-offs. But they're unabashedly up front. They make no bones about the trade-offs they made. They said we are extraordinarily centralized. We have a small group of dictators here who have unlimited power, and they're going to run everything super efficiently. And the trade-off is, yeah, we got a very performant blockchain because we're not pretending like we're decentralized when we really are, which I think is the case for Ethereum. And they're they're more like the Mussolini model. The trains run on time. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible analogy. Nobody's going to know what I meant. No, I think people will get what you mean. I mean, I know what you mean. I've heard that phrase before. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, there's something very different about Dan Larry's strategies. Right? I mean, I don't think as badly about him as a lot of Bitcoin maximalists I hear. People have pretty low opinions. But the thing w- that bothered me back in the day when it used to be him and Vitalik going back and forth was he, he wants to build stuff that seems overly complicated, doesn't he? Like our, his, the bit shares, I remember, it was so complicated. He says, oh, it can do all this magical financial stuff, and it, it could. It does amazing. That was the original peg for the, do- the original tether, basically. The original stable coin he built, that was bit shares, and it did like unbelievable numbers of transactions and everything, but it was so complicated. And I remember like going to that bit shares after Namecoin because he was talking about building a DNS replacement. And it was like the, the thing that annoyed me was he said, oh, the number one problem with domain names is squatting and we're going to fix that. And he comes up with this really complicated scheme for bidding and then you could bid on it. There was a period other people bid on it. And then maybe there was an auction, uh, you know, if there was a tie or something, it was so complicated. Yeah. And everyone, then everyone that I think everyone tired to butt in because you're on such a, you're like on a roll, but the squatting thing it's always people i mean i think don't know (laughs) yeah but i I also think it's they almost always mean it's like a euphemism for like i don't own them all (laughs) you know (laughs) you know i would like to own poker.com but i don't and that makes me mad yeah because the guy won't give it to me i offered bucks and he still wouldn't give it to me damn it but but there's but there is a value add to quote unquote squatters that people don't appreciate because there's almost a protective function of quote unquote squatters where they reserve that name as unused. So until somebody willing to pay like a, a, a market price um, comes along. So like say I'm a founder and I really want a certain name. And I come across it, and it's owned, but it's unused. That's good, bad, because it means it's unused. That means it's available for me to use. And it's bad in that, like, yeah, I'll incur a cost. But if somebody hadn't squatted it, you know, (laughs) it could be used for frivolous things, low-value things that Mm -hmm. aren't, you know, as valuable as this idea that I have. So, you know... 
I think in a way there is value add that people don't appreciate to people quote unquote squatting. They are maybe reserving or preserving the option for the best market use of that name. So people don't really appreciate that, but you know, think about it. Like if you have like a poker.com is a good example. <laughs> Does it make sense that poker.com is like, um, you know, Joe Schmo's blog about how he like plays poker on Thursdays. Well, or does it does it make if, Joe Sh- if Joe Schmo owns it, yeah. Sure. But, but he's, like, if that's what he's using it for, he's going to sell it if you give him a price that reflects the true value of it. Yeah. And domains are a lot different than assets because a domain, you could actually use a domain, resell it, and have it repurposed. An asset is extremely different because if somebody has used poker as an asset name, as a token, and has issued tokens and has distributed those tokens, that asset is used. You cannot like request your that poker asset and right. make it. You a can't just wipe it out, put up a brand new website. Asset. Right? Yeah, right. That's right. You so can't I think it's wipe it super out. Super underrated, super misunderstood. And I think the solution is a market solution it's called decentralized asset sales. Boom. Nice. Nice. And I like your analogy too. And yeah, being a domainer, of course you get it, but he didn't. And he thought that was the number one problem. And his solution ended up looking like you can't control it for long. You can have it. And then next year it goes up for auction again or something like that. So why would you invest a bunch of money building up something on this thing? If you couldn't be sure that you were going to control it for a length of time, like you don't actually own domain names now. You just—it's like owning real estate. You have the—you have rights. You have a lot of rights and have con- a lot of control over it. But there are limits, <laughs> and the government yeah. says there are limits, and they'll enforce it. So yeah. um, the the big problem that drove me away from that was, well, that was a, a part of it. What I described, but he shelved the project pretty quickly. Easy because. Everything ran on separate chains in BitShares. And so this domain name stuff would run on its own chain. token, And it, that ended up, the price for that would fluctuate freely, not related to the main BitShares or what was it called? It was, I forgot the name of their token, but it would end up competing with the main token. It was a poor design for the, all these multiple chains with applications on the different chains. Sure. It was too crazy. The guy just made complicated stuff. And anyway, I think that's going to end up being a problem in EOS. But the big problem, of course, is the centralized governance. That's never going to be a problem until it is a catastrophic problem, but it will be <laughs> at some point. Hey, yeah, here's, yeah. Mike, here's another way to put it. If you hope a name remains unused, a valuable, memorable, brandable name remains unused until such time that you want to use it. That is like a fairy tale belief. Then that it's is not a, really a valuable name, is it? It's a very unrealistic hope and belief. Your best hope is that somebody will register it that won't use it. That's your best hope. Yeah. The idea yeah. that someone's going to leave. They bought it because they want to <laughs> arbitrage that opportunity. If it's just sitting around and nobody wants it, 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. You're hoping somebody bought it. It's the arbitrage opportunity. Uh, otherwise, they're going to invest tons of money, build up something, and they're not going to want to let go of it. All right. Hey, Mike, I think yeah. this is a weird place to end, but why don't we just end it here? Because we covered a great deal. And okay. I think, um, I think we redeemed ourselves. I'm sure this recorded this time. Uh, my pinky toes are crossed, <laughs> actually, as I'm saying that. Uh, um, but uh, th- I had a really great time talking with you. I think you have a lot of interesting ideas. I love that you're a member of the Convert community. Love seeing the chats. Love seeing what you're doing with Bitcoin Battle. You're just a real gem. And, um, you know, I think we've improved on episode one a bit, Sesh. We might have gone two times the value of episode one. I think maybe episode three, I'm very bullish. It could be three times the value of episode two. Back to your hands, you make me tremble, make me crash, forget my name.